University of Louisville understands that their students come from diverse backgrounds with aspirations, drives, and needs to match. With more than 50 online programs in areas like business, education, social work, engineering, and more, Yulevale provides students with a multitude of career advancing options and flexible coursework. Students can complete their coursework from the comfort of their home or on the go via mobile apps. Learn more at louisville.edu slash online. That's louisville.edu slash online. From the University of Louisville's Delphi Center for Teaching and Learning. And the University of Central Florida's Center for Distributed Learning. I'm Kelvin Thompson. And I'm Tom Cavanaugh. And you are listening or watching TopCast, the Teaching Online podcast. You know, just needed to give a little equal time to the, uh, the folks who were not just listening. That's right. Yeah. And for those who don't know or maybe have never checked out YouTube, you can see our shining faces if you really want to see that while we're, uh, while we're talking. Um, maybe of, of even more interest, though, is that when we have a guest, um, mm. now that we're doing this video, oftentimes you can actually get to see our guests, too. Mm-hmm. And lots of cat videos. If, if, as you say, <laughs> yes. you haven't seen YouTube. I mean, it is... Uh... Yeah. That, it's funny you say that because whenever I go on YouTube, somehow I, I always end up looking at cat videos. Yeah, well, yeah. It's, it's, there's a psychological study in there somewhere, but that's, yeah, uh, that's sure. neither. And for those uh, just finding us, perhaps, we, sh- we should say this now and again, we do build a show as a collegial conversation about online, blended, digital teaching and learning, not just cats. Uh, and we do that in the context of a, of a conversation over a shared cup of coffee. Even if our shared cup of coffee is on opposite sides of a computer screen most of the time, you know, you can go back through the archives eight plus years and we used to drink coffee in the same room. It was a, <laughs> it was a thing. You used to brew me coffee, yeah. Today, though, I am, I am drinking uh, iced coffee. It's something called a super coffee. What? Super coffee, Kelvin. It's uh-huh. a hazelnut latte flavor, zero sugar, but more than makes up for it with added protein and caffeine. So I will be speaking quickly by the end of this podcast. Yeah, I'm going to need to think about that some more. That just <laughs> <laughs> It's like a protein that's, shake more than anything like. else. It tastes like that's coffee. That's what it looked like yeah. when you're drinking it. I'm just like, that's a coffee-flavored engineered beverage if I've ever seen one. <laughs> it's super coffee. Super <laughs> coffee, that's right. Well, in, uh, in my vintage purchased from, the only thing I ever purchased from the student pottery sale at the University of Central Florida, uh, one warm and humid uh, day, uh, is this lovely coffee mug, which I used to carry around in the office all the time in Orlando. Haven't dusted it off in a while, and so this will be a good excuse to to break it out. Uh, In my cup today is a combination, I don't do this too often and admit to it, but it's a combination of two sets of beans I had on hand at home. Both from the U.S. Pacific Northwest. The first one is called Cafe Carmelita from Tony's Coffee in Bellingham, Washington. And the second one is called Humbucker Blend from Fundamental Coffee in Seattle. And I thought the combination of these two coffees, connected as they are by proximity, but separated by their own distinct identities, including, I might add, two different roast levels. One is a dark roast and the other is a medium roast. I thought all of that might be appropriate for today's episode topic. Now, I think the coffee's pretty good, and I gave it to some people around the office, and they liked it. What do you think it might 
attempt at a connection? And do you have one with Super Coffee? I do not have one with Super Coffee. It's just giving me a boost here <laughs> on a Friday afternoon as we record this. And I'm struggling with your connection, so maybe maybe connect the dots All for right. me. I, uh, I was thinking this thing of distinct identities, but a shared background and kind of intertwined uh, in the same cup. You know, I, I, I thought there might be something there uh, in the topics du jour. Okay, I get it. Uh, and I think it may be... Um, it may be related to our guest today. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Do you want to set it up? Sure. Well, Tom, you recently interviewed Dr. Bob Hansen from UPSIA. Dr. Hansen has been the chief executive officer of the University Professional and Continuing Education Association, a.k.a. UPSIA, since 2010. Previously, he was associate provost for university outreach at the University of Southern Maine, and before that he held multiple positions at St. Xavier University of Chicago and within state government. And uh, yeah, that's that's where I was shooting for in my connection. Is there anything you want to say about uh, the interview before we cut to it? No, just to say that uh, I, I always enjoy talking to Bob. He's a really smart guy, very thoughtful, has an interesting perch from his organizational perspective across the entire landscape he works with and interacts with people from all across the country, different kinds of institutions. So I, I think uh, I think our listeners will uh, will will learn a lot and, and get a kick out of hearing his perspective. All righty. We'll get ready to uh, hit the... Uh the time travel button uh, here in the podcast Wayback Machine and cut to your interview with Bob Hanson. So, Bob, thank you so much for being on TopCast. Well, it's good to be here, Tom. Uh, I've known you for, you know, a few years now, and it's great to see you in your natural habitat if, <laughs> if the podcast can, can be called that. Yeah, I thought you meant my office at work where they just sort of slide, you know, kibbles under the door for me and keep me keep me in, you know, fresh clothes and online courses, I guess, um, my natural habitat. Yeah. Well, thank you for taking the time anyway. So um, maybe the first place to start is um, is to kind of give us a little bit about UPSIA. And for especially for those that maybe aren't members or aren't familiar with the organization, like, you know, we've been members for a while and we sort of understand it. And I don't want to make an assumption, though. So I wonder if you can kind of give us the 30,000 foot view of the organization, its mission, its membership and kind of your role in it. Sure, that'd be great. I mean, our mission now is to really advance the work of professional continuing and online education. And. I think it's, it's interesting you talked about our, our reputation and who knows us. If you're in the field of professional and continuing education, you know us. We've been the world leader for, for more than 100 years, established in 1915. Where we're less well-known is when continuing ed made the, 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 the shape-shifting move into online because it was, of course, really the highest expression of the impetus behind the rise of continuing education in the first place, which is to, you know, in the words of the Wisconsin idea, which really launched UPSI in 1915, 15, to extend the benefit of the university beyond the walls of the university to the borders of the state and beyond. So in, in, my, in our view, the DNA is the same, whether it's continuing education or degree completion or graduate-oriented professional programs, in-person, online, credit, non-credit, 
um, it, it really goes back to what I call the great tradition of expanding access to higher education. And it did begin in 1915. It morphed over time into serving adults in night school and then moving into a weekend college. Um, and then ultimately the early days of technology with videotapes and, and all that stuff that people, uh, older, older folks like you and I, Tom, remember. But, um, but, but really, and then finding its, its highest and best use or, or, or mission, which is, which is really online, which just continues to evolve with just such an impressive velocity. And I don't think that's slowing down. In fact, it's accelerating. Um, so anyway, um, we, so what we've done is we've tried to serve the entire field of professional teaching and online by recognizing their common denominator and their common, in their common DNA. Our typical members are, we focus more on leaders. So we focus on deans of professional and continuing education and chief online learning officers. Sometimes it's the same person. As you know, it's bifurcated in some universities in some instances, the dean invented it or the, or the dean's predecessors invented online 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago, and they still own it, um, uh, uh, so, to, so to speak. Um, but we go beyond, of course, the leaders to the folks that are serving them, all the administrators, people in the marketing staff, the student services, the program development um, folks, uh, the financial people. So we dig deep into those organizations. And I think what's what's different about us is that we take a very entrepreneurial approach to serving the most entrepreneurial people within academic affairs at most institutions. Now it's a low bar, that entrepreneurial <laughs> bar. <laughs> but we soar over that, um, uh -huh. over that each and every day. And, and so that's kind of what drives me. I mean, I began in, in higher ed um, in, in a role of a, as a, of a continuing educator. And then I built an online uh, a program at my last institution. And I found UPSIA so refreshing and the mission so refreshing refreshing because it was fun to manage an entrepreneurial business that wasn't tradition bound um, and, and really restricted really by whatever the faculty thought was the best direction of the institution. And that tension is always there. But but anyway, at this point, we tend to serve most of the um, the flagship public universities, the large public universities, most of the of the best private universities in the country. We we have fewer, um, uh, a lesser reach into the regional publics and privates. I think sometimes they're a little cash strapped and they haven't necessarily invested uh, the time and financial resources into building a viable, strong uh, PCO unit or units, and therefore don't go looking for um, the kind of resources that that we provide. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, how long have you been there in a leadership role? Well, this is my 13th year. And as far as I can tell so far, 13 has been a lucky number, Tom. <laughs> Good, yeah, I'm not superstitious and I don't think you are. All right, so, you know, kind of given that um, that kind of, you know, charism of the organization, so to speak, where right. you mentioned kind of non-credit and credit. Um, yeah, I did have one question that uh, has come up. I, in fact, I've had this conversation at UPSIA conferences. Um, some people feel like competition within the higher ed space isn't so much between institutions. It feels like there's a lot of students to go around, especially non-traditional students. But potentially the competition is with companies. 
who are increasingly not requiring a bachelor's degree as a minimum for entry into the into the workforce and also standing up their own training within their organizations through mm -hmm. corporate universities or like, hey, I don't care if you right. know anthropology, but if you know how to code this, you know, language to to do this job that I'm going to teach you how to do that. Um, I wonder if you can talk about that and from your perspective, if you think there is real competition there and then what do institutions need to do to stay relevant? Yeah, it's a great question. It's a, it's 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 really it's conceivably an existential threat if you project out not 10 years, but let's say, well, boy, the way the way change is happening now and the acceleration of it, who knows, maybe even 10 years um, if you're a regional public or private and you're tuition dependent, um, that could be an existential threat. Certainly within within 20 years, that could be. So I think we have to take that really uh, to heart. I think sometimes we in higher education are very parochial. We, we think we live in splendid isolation from larger market forces and demographic changes and, 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 and the evolving ch tastes of learners. So we have to really be aware of this and not dismiss that as lesser because it's not lesser because they're well capitalized. Um, they're going to put a ton of money on into analytics and the design of it. And they're going to use AI and they're going to kick our butt if we don't stay with them. So I think the first thing is to acknowledge the threat. Um, the good news is that learners still value college brands, especially local ones to corporate ones when it comes to education itself. But I think to maintain that edge, colleges and universities will have to fundamentally embrace that challenge of making online programs, um, degrees, but especially non-credit programs that are bread and butter of corporate offerings and make them more competitive because it is an arms race. And I think the only way we can maintain our market share and relevance or charism to use your great word for that is if we neutralize, we're not going to beat the advantage of well-capitalized competitors. Really, the best we can do is neutralize their advantage so that the, you know, the, the special charism of institutions comes through because that's obvious. Everybody knows what a company is wants out of you as a learner. They want revenue. They might want a future learner. Universities want that too, but they also have a public good that I think is, is a difference maker when all things are more or less equal. So what does that mean? How do we do that? Well, one thing is we could do more U to B partnerships. I don't think universities are good at reaching out to and partnering with, with businesses. So businesses aren't gonna necessarily want to, out to give to another business the ability to educate its people. They would rather partner with a local university and make that, because that's a nice feather in their cap when they're doing that. But many higher ed folks are not bilingual. They speak higher ed, they don't speak corporate um, or business at all. The exception is folks that come from the PCO space. And that's where really I think the TUNED space really helps a lot too, because they're, they've always been bilingual in that regard, regard. And so I think that's important. But the other thing is that we really need to centralize. When you take our limited resources and expand the pot that we have for that, um, to dedicate to online and and, and, um, and non-credit. But to do that, now we have to expand it. Then we have to centralize core operations. I see too many institutions decentralizing online, and, and that's fine. If you want to have satellite offices or satellite personnel in the colleges of, and schools, 
to, to really engage that those faculty, that makes all the sense in the world, particularly if you're a large institution that's already inherently decentralized. But you don't want to replicate the vertical hierarchy that you have in an online at each area of the university because you're not going to be able to afford investments in specialists. So that this the so your producer today, Tom, you know, all the folks that that are engaged in a modern unit are much we can go deeper um and wider in our expertise if we centralize them. And so that is really essential if we want to use our capital uh efficiently because we don't have enough of it. And we like I said, we have to expand the capital that goes into it. And the other things that we have to really invest in are analytics and AI. Um, if we can do that well, we will neutralize that advantage that the companies enjoy. Yeah, that, those man, those are great things to consider, especially for for people who are running continuing education units. That the idea of partnership of kind of you know putting your peanut butter and my chocolate together in a in a in a way that's going to benefit the company and the institution, leverage the brand of the institution and the educational expertise. It just makes it makes a lot of sense. Right. So I want to move into um, something that that you said in your in your intro about Upsia. And you, you referenced the chief online learning officer or COLO. And, you know, it's something that's that's very near and dear to, to my heart, sort of serving in that role at my institution without necessarily that title. Mm -hmm. But the um, the idea of the COLO is a is a relatively recent phenomenon. And it's one that that I spent you know some time thinking about um, just just recently when I was chair of the the, the C Colo group within Upsia. Um, and we spent a lot of time talking about what is a Colo and how do we define it? And what are the competencies that make up? And, and it sort of begs the question of, does every institution really need a Colo? Um, we saw this evolution a few years ago with CIO, with maybe not every institution having a CIO and they kind of all do now, but I don't know, is, is online learning different than like core IT infrastructure? Well, I think it's entirely different. It's a totally different skill set in, in, in my view. And, and I was around when I first started in higher education um, as an administrator. Um, it was uh, 90, 98, around 2000, I started to get into the academic affairs space and continuing education. And that was when we had the rise of the CIOs. That was exactly when they rose. And it was a forward thinking idea. I wasn't even sure it made a lot of sense. I, I, I saw them more as like facilities managers digitalized, digitalized. I think I was wrong about that. I think that CIOs and, 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 and the use of technology is so complicated that to not centralize it, there's that centralizing thing, to not centralize it and have a chief architect would be a big mistake. And so they were the partners of continuing educators in building online. I think they built the infrastructure in some ways, the technology infrastructure, but the impetus, the mission, the skill sets, um, the, the why of it was driven by continuing education. How do we serve our learners better beyond the campus and particularly adult learners who can't come to campus? Um, I think the skill set, I think it's just as important or more so. My argument is that's actually more so to have a colo than it is even the, even the CIO, they're both essential. You gotta have them both. But the reason colos are so important is because it, our ability to serve um, the adult learner via online 
is the difference between sustainability and unsustainability for more than half of our campuses. Almost all the regional publics and privates fit into that. The only ones that don't are in demo, demo, demography rich areas like California, the Southwest, Florida. Beyond that, they're in deep, deep trouble. So we've got to have somebody who's really an entrepreneur, really understands higher education or can or can quickly learn it and run is, is capable of running the complicated business of online because it's a very complicated business. Just as CIOs deal with a very complicated um, uh, infrastructure of, of uh, or, or universe of technology, uh, the, the Colo has a very complicated business uh, to run. I mean, you're talking about business models, you're talking about program development, you're talking about student services, marketing enrollment management, internal and external relationship building, um, understanding larger university structures and missions, adult learners, how they operate and how they're different than the 18 to 22 year olds, change management. In short, what I'm describing really is a university unto itself because it's really a different university because the clients are different, the, 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 the learners are different. So I think it's essential that we move in the direction of COLOS and to be very clear about who that is, but then building support around that person. I'm not a big fan of somebody who is a, uh, a leader without portfolio and is just a thought leader. I, I think you give the resources to that person and you charge them with building a sustainable business for this uh, with clear goals. So, yeah, yeah. that's I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, what you're describing is is, you know, I. I didn't hear a lot about like, you know, understand the LMS. I mean, there are a lot of like high level leadership qualities. And when you think about sort of the competencies that make up um, a, a portfolio of, of a colo, um, like how can somebody who maybe aspires into that role prepare themselves to be ready when the time comes for them to maybe grow into that kind of a role as, as a career path? Well, Tom, I don't think you set me up intentionally, but of course, the only answer to that question is upsia, upsia, <laughs> upsia. No, I, I kid, sort of, but um, so I think it is complicated because a lot of folks who are so there are two types who tend to become colos. I, I think, and, and tell me if you think I'm, I'm right about this. There are faculty members who are currently administrators, for example. Maybe they're just faculty members who are leaders in online and they get tapped for it. There are others who come up through the instructional designer uh, route and, and find themselves growing and they've got some leadership skills and, um, and are promoted in, into that role. In both cases, in, 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 in neither case, I should say, do are those folks prepared and trained to run a complicated business? On the contrary, they're not taught anything about running a complicated business. Faculty members aren't taught how to teach, let alone how to run a complicated business. Yeah. And you look at, at instructional designers, that is a very complicated and hard task, but it has nothing to do with running the business of online. So they're going to have to train up. And what OBSEA has focused on, in contrast to other organizations in the space, is that business side, the administration, all those complicated elements that I already enumerated. I think other organizations have done a very good job at training faculty and instructional designers into online teaching and learning. 
but they usually stop short of the kind of things that a colo is charged with. Yeah, that's great. Um, and then if you kind of look forward um, for somebody who maybe is sitting in a colo role, I mean, is is that a terminal position? I know like a lot of CIOs sort of feel like, all right, I've meet, reached a pinnacle and it's not like you can count on one hand the number of CIOs who become like a university president or something. Is there a path above colo for for those who might aspire for more, or is it really just too early to tell in, in the life and evolution of colos? I don't know. I mean, I agree with you that, that you know, it, it has been a trickle, not a, a um, not a steady flow of folks flowing from colos into provost or presidential positions, but it's accelerating. I have noticed in my 13 years, that would never happen. There would have been like one or two exceptions. Now I'm seeing it in a lot of places. Um, they're going in different directions. Our current board president, for example, is Dave Soleil, who's the chancellor of Washington State University Global Campus. Um, we've had we've had folks on our on our board who are provosts. Um, they have uh, I can name several people who've become presidents uh, and provosts from our field. Uh, not a handful, more than that. And and there are others that I don't even know of. Um, mm. So I think that is growing. They're also being tapped by companies, interestingly enough. I'm seeing a lot of colos being recruited by companies who pay them more and have more flexibility in where they can live. So there's other places you can go, but I think we would also be be remiss if we didn't mention that one way to grow and to not see the terminal is a terminal role is to simply grow the role by growing the operation. You be like when I was was when I said I was building the online program at my last institution, I didn't have a lot of people there. I had about three people. I had like one or two instructional designers. I had a student services person and me. Um, obviously, what you're running, you're running a major business. You've grown your position to something that 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 really matters. So it's not the same job. It keeps evolving, and so I think if you stay in that role, there's still an opportunity for extraordinary growth, with the understanding that. You know, you can evolve into something more than that, but you're probably going to have to leave your institution. Um, you can't be place bound, um, uh, or you got to find a, a a virtual job because I don't think many people are going to go from being the chief online learning officer to the provost or the presidency at their institution. But you know, when you're a cash-strapped institution, you're a regional public, uh, you're northern this or western that and you're trying to compete for students, uh, people are saying, you know what, who understands how to grow our, our, our enrollment and stabilize it? And they're increasingly understanding that the folks in the PCO space know how to do that. What's yeah, difficult that's... to overcome is faculty opposition because faculty want people, the future provosts and presidents to come from their ranks. But I think that's changing because boards are changing and expectations from uh, the senior leadership themselves are changing. And the existential circumstances of some institutions potentially are, are changing that, that force you to kind of look at maybe different models and different individuals. And yeah, that's that's really interesting. I hadn't thought of it the way you just described it, but you're right. If you sort of look back over the, the history, um, it has changed. Right, um, especially you know, just in the last ten years, that's uh, that's true. So, thank you for that perspective. Well, Bob, I'm looking at the 
at the clock and I, I have more questions. So maybe, maybe we can have you back sometime and we can, um, we can pick this up where we left off if that's okay with you. Well, that sounds good with me, Tom. I enjoy talking to you always and honored to be on um, your podcast. So happy to do that. Great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. And um, on behalf of Kelvin and me, thanks. Well, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Well, Tom, that was indeed your interview with Bob Hansen. It was. I enjoyed um, I enjoyed talking to Bob. Like I said, he's always a thoughtful guy and uh, he's got a great perspective. Uh, we covered kind of a broad waterfront of, of topics, but... You know, maybe maybe one uh, thing that uh, you and I were talking about, kind of off air, that was an interesting surprise was that just how long Upsia has been around. Right. Um, I remember when I was at another institution, we were members of UCIA, without mm-hmm. before they became Upsia. It was the same kind of predecessor mm-hmm. organization, but a hundred years is a that's a that's a good long time for one of these higher ed organizations. Yeah, especially one that touches on online in any in any fashion yeah i i yeah. thought that was kind of cool i also as we were talking about before we hit record i think um it's worth a a, a side trip uh, for our listeners if anybody was not immediately familiar with that phrase the wisconsin idea it's one i had to dust off in my head i, I associated with some of the classic distance education stuff and i went down a rabbit trail the other day uh following all that. And it's really kind of an interesting uh, concept. Um, it's worth a, worth a, but so that's that deep historical thing yeah. as well. But I'm, I'm going to guess that if you want to talk about anything, it's the role of the chief online learning officer. Yeah, I guess if there's one thing that kind of we have time to highlight, uh, it, it might be that and kind of lean into that because that really is in the bullseye of what of what you and I typically talk about mm-hmm. on this podcast, online learning and online learning mm-hmm. leadership. And, and uh, you know, when I served as the chair of the Council of Chief Online Learning Officers for a while for UPSIA, that was the really the, the focus of much of our work as a committee over that year, trying to define what is a COLO, trying to... Um, you really sharpen the pencil on what are the competencies that are associated with being an effective colo. And then we hadn't gotten to it yet, and I know the organization is still working on it. What are the professional development opportunities that can help fill gaps within those competencies for somebody who aspires to be a colo? Mm-hmm. And I think all of that is really valuable work. I do think that there is this parallel between this role and that of the CIO, say, mm-hmm. 15 years ago, or, mm-hmm. or maybe a little bit more. Um, 15 years from now, I, I think it'll be commonplace to probably mm-hmm. see institutions that have a named chief online learning officer, just like now uh, they have they have named CIOs. Yeah, I think that'll be interesting to, to watch. Uh, plug here to our episode 133 professional development across our online education community, which touches on a number of professional associations and some of their unique distinctives like UPSIAs in this case. I also liked the phrase that you all talked about. You used the phrase running the business of online education. Uh, and I thought that's that's an interesting uh, hook in terms of the lack of formal preparation, although we certainly have some of the leadership uh, programming through uh, several of our professional associations that I think try to do that. They bring in um, folks to you know kind of get at financial stuff and organizational change models and logic models and things like that. But uh, but that takes nothing away from UPSIA's special emphasis. 
Yeah, maybe the last thing I'll say is that I think that running the business, that that kind of a turn of phrase, but the concept behind it mm-hmm. is consistent with both continuing education units, which mm-hmm. has been traditionally kind of the, the main focus of UPSIA historically, mm-hmm. but also people in jobs like yours and mine who are in online learning units that can't necessarily think all the time like an academic. Mm-hmm. We have to That's also right. think like a business person, Mm -hmm. like we have Mm -hmm. to run an Mm -hmm. enterprise, an Mm -hmm. operation Mm -hmm. with the academic Mm -hmm. kind of core product, so so to speak. But you you need to have kind of an entrepreneurial mindset, I think, at least where we are now in order to kind of be effective in this role. So I think it's it's an interesting blending of those sort of two sides of the Mm UPSEA organization. Yeah. I think that's cool. All right, so shall I try to put a bow on this conversation? Yep, I agree. So the histories of continuing your professional education as well as online education have have been intertwined for a while now. No matter the organizational structure at each institution, the values of continuing education bring focus to the work of online and digital learn. Yeah. No, that's good. That's right. That's right. Just like the two coffees in my cup are all mingled together. And the one in my protein shake bottle here. Yeah, that's right. No coffee beans harmed in the creation of your beverage. <laughs> Very funny. <laughs> well, uh, I'm looking forward to the time that we'll get in the same room again um, and we'll be drinking uh, actual coffee together. But uh, until then, I can't wait to see what new derivations of beverage you bring to these conversations. And so until next time for TopCast, I'm Kelvin. And I'm Tom. See ya.